When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That the United States economy added almost 5 million jobs. Um, and now inflation is hitting double digits. I remember well when... The Reserve Bank was just a bond-selling agent of the Treasury. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes significant hardship. And what I want to do is different. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Stop the boats. It's the three-word slogan used to try and win elections. It worked for Tony Abbott in Australia in 2013, but it might not be quite so successful for Rishi Sunak in 2024. We'll see. But there's no doubt immigration is a divisive issue. We do know migrants can add to an economy, but does that mean we should open the doors to everyone? What does it mean for the economy, for society? After all, everyone has to live somewhere. We look at all of that. This week on the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen. Welcome along. Well, there is nothing more contentious, is there, in on this planet, really, uh, than immigration, it seems. In, in the UK, there's a swathe of the population that don't uh, like foreigners very much, whether it's Europeans doing jobs that were discovered that Brits didn't want to do anyway, uh, which is why we have crops that are left unpicked in this country, or whether it's refugees from Syria, many of whom aren't welcome in case they are terrorists or rapists, or even if they just spit on the pavement, which is very un-British, which uh, Arab people can do. Uh, But, you know, this is not a British phenomenon, is it? In Australia, politics was very much uh, divided soon after John Howard declared, we'll decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they will come, Mm. uh, a line which I think has been used by many politicians all around the world. So, Mm. Steve, why is immigration so contentious? Do you think it's just part of human nature? It is part of human nature. I mean, and it is part of a species nature as well. So one thing which, uh, when you look at how evolution develops, uh, there's two remarkable books I'd recommend to anybody who wants to get their head around not just the basic idea of Darwin, but really sophisticated extensions of that, is a book by John Joe McFadden called Quantum Evolution and another one by Jesse Schwartz called Sudden Origin. And the, the 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 short, if I can give a short answer to a question like that, mm. uh, is that evolution occurs in the recessive genes, and it occurs much faster than people think. Um, so, on the quantum point of view, evolution is built into the structure of the universe. In that DNA uh, is actually a like a binary code, which is deoxyribose. Because there are two strands, you un- unravel one to have RNA, and then when you look at what's actually going on, you've got uh, it's A, G, C, and T are the initials of the four amino acids that make up the structure. And what they're doing is basically coding almost like in a binary, I think it's a quaternary rather than a binary system. Um, But given quantum uncertainty, A is supposed to match with C and G with T, but every 50,000 it'll be the wrong pair. 
Right. That's because the whole idea of the measurement and uncertainty. This is John J. McFadden's work. So what that means is we don't have to rely upon cosmic rays to knock off an, at- an atom and mean you've got a variation in your genome. It happens literally because of this quantum me- quantum mechanics. Now then we have an error correction mechanism on top of that when uh, DNA is broken into strands and used to produce a protein and it has to be reproduced itself. And that error correction will be wrong once every 50,000. So 50,000 or 50,000, one every two and a half billion times, your base pair won't be the right pair. Right. Okay, so that's that's evolution is I'm not- so glad I asked this okay. question. So, so <laughs> yeah, next part. <laughs> So does- Evolution occurs in the recessive genes. Right. So the example that uh, Schwartz gives is you have a fish uh, with a flat jaw, no teeth, and and then uh, one genetic variation will occur, and one of the four offspring will have teeth. Okay, they've got to have two 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 recessive genes to make sure that particular characteristic is expressed. So one in four. Nothing will 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 happen, and then suddenly you'll get uh, the teeth will turn up, uh, teeth versus no teeth, and the one that's got teeth is shunned by the others. Okay, and then mm. that shunning means well, you know, they've got to mate with somebody else that has teeth, and bang, you get speciation coming out of that. So, in an elementary sense, uh, speciation and shunning of something who looks different is built into the nature of evolution. Right. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking uh, Brexiteers versus uh, Remainers <laughs> here then. So, so there's does brain that, versus does, brain. Yeah. So Brexiteers, of which you were one at one oh, stage. Because so, I would because I say this to the European <laughs> Union and I now realise I got my finger broken <laughs> and I'd go back and vote... Forget Remain. about the EU. It's yeah. been a total disaster. But okay, so uh, anyway, so yeah, it's so obviously the the the, uh, <clears throat> the Brexiteers are all going off and starting their own species. Then by uh, well, but the, 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 that's that is something that, that like that's the evolutionary foundation of it. Uh, you'd hope that humanities can use intelligence to get above that mm. gut reaction, and the trouble is that it's such a fragile thing, um, in the sense that. To enable mixing to occur, you have to be people have to be willing to be part of a minority. Yeah, and it's, this is when you look at work on uh, on evolutionary uh, modeling with multi-agent modeling and things like that. Uh, there's, there's a great program called NetLogo that I recommend people take a look at, just because it's it's a beautifully written multi-agent modeling program. And in that, people have modeled dinner parties. Uh, or parties. You know, if 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 you if you have a, a party where you form in groups of say seven people, this is one of the little examples they give, and people have a slight preference to be male in a male group rather than a female group. So 51% prefer to be male to female, but very, very minor. You'll get 100%. The groups will all be male and female segregated. Okay, so it's that trivial. So you. You have to have people being willing to be part of minority to get the sort of global mixing that is sort of the, you know, the, um, the, the great big melting pot type ambition mm. of not being negative about the foreigner. Right, but that's that's how that's how delicate the whole damn thing is. And just so I don't want to I risk asking you this question, but I'm trying to figure out what the the whole thing about DNA strands how that how that matches into this. First of all, evolution, with speciation, so, evolution and change is, is built into the nature of, right. of reality. Yeah. So we're going to get variation. We're going to look different. Mm. Okay? And there'll be big differences. Right. It won't be a case of a, 
Uh, like we, 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 humanity. So humans are all being different. But, but humans are amongst the most, the least diverse species on the planet. This is the other weird thing about us. I've seen yeah. some other uh, study recently saying that there's more diversity, genetic diversity, in a single group of chimpanzees than there is in the entire well, human I species. So it's yeah. crazy how we how we talk about us being different. We've got the smallest differences of any uh, genetic differences of virtually any species on the planet, so and we still complain about each other. Yeah. So do but. Are we complaining about each other because of uh, we, we see that people being slightly different in terms of of, of race or the the way they look, or are we can just concerned about foreigners, irrespective of where they come from? Well, it's I mean, it's, it's, it's it's the racial thing is unfortunately a huge part of it. Mm. Okay, and that's. Um, uh, part of humanity that I'm... That's why we're happy to help uh, refugees coming from Ukraine, but not so much from Syria, yeah, for example. Yeah, that sort of thing, or mm. African and so on. You mm. know, this this is one of the horrible elements of humanity on that front. Um, but the other, you know, this that the other part of it is economic. And there's a brilliant paper. I remember reading this back when I was a well, undergraduate. That's the main reason, because this is an economics podcast. So it's mainly the economics I want it's to talk about. It's mainly economics. There's a, mm. a woman called Marie de la Provence, who was an, I think she was an academic at uh, Macquarie University. And she analysed the waves of migration into Australia and the social reactions to each of those waves. And what she found was the biggest resistance to the next wave of migration came from the previous wave of migration. Yeah. Because what would happen is the previous well, Greek, Greeks in 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 Australia, yeah. yeah, absolutely want the door closed behind them. So a lot, not all of them, but a lot of them. I mean, absolutely, it's some and of the most vocal to, anti-migration. And what tends to happen is that you 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 come become as a mi- wave of migrants. You you've de- you're desperate to get a job, you're desperate to work. There's real pressure, to, to much more so than the locals are. Yeah. You'll take the jobs the locals won't want to take on, uh, and then when the next wave comes in, particularly if there's an economic downturn, you're the ones who feel threatened. Hmm. So it tends to be the so in this weird sort of way, it isn't just the the local you know whites pakehas as the New Zealanders call them who are resisting the coloured ones coming in. It's the previous wave have now got established to see the next group coming in as as threatening them. Yeah. And so we, we have this overlay of both racial, genetic, and economic stuff making is resistant to migration and there was that big debate wasn't there? i think it was during the 80s or 90s about whether you know they should head for a big australia or not but australia without migration i mean where oh would my god it'd be boring as batshit i but mean also, i mean it would economically not be that well advanced i mean if you the population would be too because basically people aren't procreating enough to maintain the population are they? well i mean that's you know we're procreating too much as a species anyway but um the back to that thing about the nature of australian culture before migration occurred i i was born in 1953 so I, you know, I, I, I had seven years of experience of the 50s in Australia and then seeing it in the early 60s. And it was boring. I mean, in terms of the food, the, the range of the culture, there was some, certainly some, you know, decent intellects and decent cultural uh, components of the society back then. But the food was dull beyond belief. The, the culture was all Anglo-Saxon. Uh, it, it, and it was the, we should have been, Australia should have been invaded by the Spanish we would have had, you know, street dining on day one, you know. Uh, so so the, the, the elements of the culture were just in, inappropriate invaders in that sense for the given the nature of the, the climate uh, and the lifestyle you can have with that climate. So I just saw an incredible richness coming in from the various other cultures coming in. So my, most of my friends at school were Greeks, Lebanese, Italian, Egyptian. Mm. And you know, I, I had Anglo friends as well, of course, but I really enjoyed the mix that that culture brought. So you can have a richness 
a cultural diversity. But at the same time, we then have people saying, well, are we going to undermine uh, what are core elements to our culture? Mm. And, and, and we, we have developed an incredible range of different cultures on the planet. And there's, there's, and culture takes reproduction of the culture to be maintained over time. So all these things have felt threatened, but also maybe enriched by migration. Yeah, um, oh, and we're saying the same in the UK. I mean, in the eighties, I mean, I moved to Australia in uh, for the first time in eighty six. Came back for a couple of years, and then went went, went again for good, by and large. Well, for twenty seven yeah. years anyway, nineteen ninety one. Mm. And uh, yeah, and in the eighties, I mean, it was London was changing a great deal. In the, I mean, London already, you know, obviously had a lot of Afro Caribbean influence, but yeah. it was getting a lot more European influence in the in the early eighties. There were mm. a lot more uh, French people in in workplaces. You know, okay. there were more restaurants opening from you know from from europe mm. uh, it was becoming more europeanized and there's yeah. a whole generation of people who were saying yes i'm british but i'm also european mm. which is why coming back and seeing the whole bloody brexit thing from mm. the city which had been where people were saying yes i'm british but pr- proud to be european uh coming back to a country where going no sod the europeans we're british and uh you know and that's the way we are Mm. Uh, it was just sickening. Mm. Uh, so I, you know, that's that. So if you ever hear me talking out against Brexit with vehemence, you'll know you'll know why. Because I just yeah, see yeah. I mean, that that cult- my, my, my vote for destroyed. Brexit was to say this to, to Brussels. Yeah, that, uh, that's the finger in case people didn't see it come through on the microphone, uh, and that that was a complete failure. And if I'd realised just how badly that would be handled, I would have voted you know, remain because I, there's no way I wanted to remain uh, in the European Union if. Uh, if, if there was the same, if we'd taken on the euro as a currency, it would have been yeah, a great... Yeah, doing absolute disaster. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. would that, so that's lucky. But, but so Britain had the best I, of both worlds. I thought it worlds. wouldn't go through. Yeah. You know, and then what the hell? Yeah. The vote actually won? And then My Nigel... protest vote was part of a majority? Oh, and then, shit. And then Nigel Farage came along. Blech. Uh, so look, let's look at another aspect, and then we well, we'll yeah. spend the second half of the, uh, the podcast talking about pop- population size yeah. and, uh, and the economic consequences. But uh, but uh, asylum seekers. So according mm. to UNHCR numbers, at the end of 2021, 89.3 million people worldwide were forcibly displaced as a result of, you know, persecution, conflict, mm. war, mm. Uh, violence, human rights violations, uh, or you know, events that sort of caused public disorder. Uh, most of those. 534 million of them are internally displaced people, so they didn't actually cross any border. They just, mm. you know, stuck with whatever the situation was in their own country and couldn't get out, but they also mm. weren't at home. Uh, there are just over 27 million who are refugees who fled the country uh, but haven't applied for asylum. And then there's 4.6 million, very small number out of the 89.3 that we started with, that are asylum seekers. Um, but, you know, if we're really looking at trying to solve the problems of people who are displaced, we shouldn't be looking at that 4.6 million asylum seekers. We should be looking at the 534 million people who are displaced. And they are, you know, should really be asylum seekers mm. if they've if they've hit trouble. The last year, the UK received 75,000 asylum claims out of that 89.3 million people who are forcibly displaced in the world. Mm. So 0.01% of the world's Mm. displaced people have applied for asylum in the UK. Turkey, meanwhile, is hosting 4 million Mm. refugees, another 3 million in Jordan, mostly from Syria, of course, in that part of the world. Since 2015, the UK has welcomed 20,000 Syrian refugees. So there's this massive problem of displaced people and mm. places like Britain just are not doing their bit. 
but there's this big fear that if you open the floodgates, just how look how big the problem is. Almost 90 million people displaced. What does the world do about that? Yeah, I mean, that's, this is where I'm, I, I think we're going to see far more than this when climate breakdown starts to happen. Yeah, for and sure. And just, just one of the, my favourite elements of the movie uh, The Day After Tomorrow was that the refugees were Americans moving to Mexico. <laughs> okay, so we have no idea where this is going to strike. Yeah, and what uh, I mean, I, 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 I hate to have to say this, but I think when we do start seeing massive climate refugees, uh, then because we're going to lose the carrying capacity for the number of people we have on the planet uh, in general then the reaction is going to be nationalist and keep out people who are in Paris where there's been a climate collapse. Well, we're already seeing that nationalism now, aren't It's we? going to get worse. And, and to some extent, you can't criticise people for it because uh, if... Like the, the, the classic for me is what happens if we have a collapse in the uh, agricultural system because we support 8 billion people on this planet largely because of superphosphate. And superphosphate, I still find this ridiculous. I have to go to Morocco and check it out. There's supposed to be one mine in Morocco that's the source of most of the phosphate that's used to produce the superphosphate. It used to be the Isle of Nauru, and now it's this mine in, in Morocco. Uh, and we're running out of phosphate anyway. Okay, so the, the phosphate is one of those challenged minerals, elements, that if we run out of it, we simply can't maintain the population we've got. Mm. Um, so that's that's a potential thing for our future. And therefore, you go from a carrying population of 8 billion to a carrying capacity of no more than 2 billion. Now, that's going to mean when it's if, if we start to see the famines that implies, that means a huge amount of people being mislocated. And you have no idea. It could be Africans to Europe. It could be Europe's to Africa. But in that situation, whichever one is, is the one that's the recipient is going to be blocking people for coming in on the basis of their, their, their first priority is going to be maintain their own people. Right. So if we think it's been pretty unpleasant under Brexit and, uh, and John Howard, it's going to get a damn sight worse than the, the remainder of this century. Okay, without taking things right to that extreme, let's mm. just look over the next few years before before we get there. And, and talk gonna... about the positives and negatives well, of immigration. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and whether uh, if 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 populations do move around, mm. uh, say we say you know we can't sustain a population of eight billion people, and say you know it, it goes through a period where it transitions, mm. it gets down to seven billion and maybe six billion, mm. but it takes several decades during which time that mm. is happening. I mean, obviously, a lot of that is going to be, you know, in, in developing countries that are, are not seeing the same degree of population growth and mm. developed countries might take more people on. Uh, are those developed countries going to be materially better off or worse off if there is, you know, if they're yeah. seeing an increase in, in immigration? Getting back to Australia, for example, if yeah. Australia was to have in 30 years time 25% more people living in it, would that be? Well, it will anyway, actually. So that's about, 50, let's say, 50% in 15 years the trouble about that and this is it's population growth that's the problem not um where they come from yeah 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 um is that you then focus upon building the schools the roads the medical facilities which is which is called capital deepening in the academic jargon sorry capital widening yeah. rather than capital deepening you know, building new manufacturing systems and so on and what you find in in, in like in terms of Australia's technological level it's a damn sight lower than it should be uh, if, if you focused upon improving the technology and the material standards of the of a fixed population you're going to be doing more innovation 
And so with, with even having to be spent in terms of holding a larger population, you do investment, but it's investment which is capital broadening, not capital deepening. Can't you do both at the same time? If, if you're doing too much of the, of the broadening, no, you're not going to have the funds for it. Right. Okay, so it's in terms of investment mm. uh, funds. I mean, the government, yes, the government can create the money, but uh, uh, you, it, it tends to be creates the money but given the resource constraints you face in terms of t- turning that money into actual physical entities right. using the energy and so on. So a smart but, guy who might have found the answer to the world's energy problems doesn't find it because he's too busy building extra schools and hospitals because mm, that's yeah, what's in yeah, demand. Yeah, and you, mm. you want to do the energy problem, thanks very much. That's more important. So I'd rather see I, – I, you know, we've got – there are too many humans. I think that's, that's – I mean, I'm absolutely going to argue that case for the carrying capacity of the planet – we have to go backwards. Um, so all the stuff about immigration, a large of it is driven by population growth. And uh, you know, I, th- I think we've got to see that going in reverse. Mm. And then the immigration becomes a different issue. But at the moment, it's just there are too many humans. We're expanding into each other's territory. Um, and if, if, what we're seeing with people, the, the large part of the displacement is the impact of climate change. Right. Okay. So, and uh, obviously, climate change is important to all of this. But let's let's try and park it as much as possible. Now, I know I hate having to do this, but we have to but all the same. We, just because we're the looking positive at positive and negative uh, immigration. Well, and also mm. just looking at it on a shorter term as well. When we come back, I want to look at, for example, do we help people in their own country rather than helping them over here? Is that mm. is that part mm. of the solution? And, mm. and is there a speed at which you can see an economy grow and you can get that? You know, that capital deepening mm. as well as, as broadening at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so we'll look at that when we come back on the Debunking Economics podcast. Me and Steve Keane back in just a second. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So we are looking at that very contentious subject. I don't know why it's so contentious. Immigration, everyone's got a view on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I, and I, I think I sit some, some, somewhere in the middle in that I can understand that if you have too many people fleeing into a country or flooding into a country and you mm. don't have any form of control, then there is that danger, isn't it? You could completely screw the economy. But on the other side, I mean, you know, we know that a lot of people who come into a country, come into Britain, for example, mm. by and large, they are contributing ultimately. To yeah, I, I, I very much experienced that when I was a young man in Australia um, with the growth with the Vietnamese um, 
growth in Vietnamese and Chinese population that occurred in the 70s. And like I've got to point out here that a person who played a major role in that was Malcolm Fraser, Mm. the then conservative Liberal Party prime minister who both basically threw Australia's borders open for refugees from Cambodia and Vietnam. There's none of this, and he he loathed John Howard by the end of it. Uh, but that that uh, a huge number of Vietnamese and Chinese immigrations coming in, uh, very good treatment of them through the immigration system, and the and Australia is now a multicultural society. Uh, which was fabulous compared to what it was beforehand. The, not just the cuisines, the, the range of cultural experiences you could see. You know, going to um, the, the Chinatown and seeing the dragon dances at Chinese yeah. New Year. Going down to Norton Street and getting the people celebrating Italy's successes in the in the World Cup. Uh, it, it, it made a, a range of of, of colour and, vi- and vitality. Uh, which was fabulous compared to the stodgy British yeah. foundations we had before, and obviously contributed to the economy as well. So, yeah. so, so Migration <clears throat> Watch, which is a, uh, I mean, they would probably object to being called a right-wing nut job anti-migrant group, but that's what they are. So mm. I don't know why they'd object. It's just you know calling that's what a state a state. The clues in the title, Migration Watch. We're watching migrants because we think there's too many of them. They reckon <laughs> the cost of housing each asylum seeker in the UK is, uh, this is about a year ago, £4,300 per month, which they say is one and a half times the monthly pay for a nurse. So, obvious thing is, if they could be nurses, allow them to be nurses and uh, pay them a nurse's wage, save money and have a nurse in the process. be a lot cheaper than locking them up, wouldn't it? So, I mean, this is the the idea of uh, migrants becoming a drain on the economy rather than being a contributor to the economy seems to be where we fall apart in our rationale here. Yeah, unfortunately. And, um, I mean, to some extent, migration can be used by the ruling class as a way of keeping wages down. You know, mm. you know, or you don't have to train your locals. You can bring in people full, full, full training from overseas. That's been a huge part of why, like a lot of uh, Asian countries, object to the level of, of, of Asian and African migration to uh, developed countries because they they get the training in, in, in their location and then go and earn incomes elsewhere. Mm. So there's you know, protests coming not just from the countries which are receiving well, the migration. That, that is why so many people, you know, particularly tradies in the UK, voted mm. for Brexit because mm. they saw. Polish builders and Polish plumbers yeah. coming over and uh, and doing work for less than they were charging, and they, and that's in that now sense, the ruling pl- class, the capitalist class, mm. is using that as a way of keeping wages down, yeah, and uh, and not spending enough on education and so on. So it, it, there's it's it's a quagmire. There's so many um, awful elements to it, um, and so it is something which you wanted to have some degree of balance about it. You want you do want to maintain different cultures. That, that's you know we want you don't want to lose diversity uh, in human uh, modes of civilization, uh, but you know you don't want to just live in one culture. You, it's it's nice if you take a holiday in your own country, uh, which is feasible in countries that have quite a diverse mi- migrant background, and that's one of the beauties of Sydney, for example. You know, so you want, you want to experience Japan or China or or uh, Turkey or or whatever else. It's you know which streets to go to to get those. Those pleasures, so that's that's one of the the benefits of the diversity. But at the same time, that can be used against us. So, and of course, you know, if you've got a growing population, you are creating growing demand. I mean, it should it should in theory. Uh, I mean, 
is there is there a point at which you say, well, okay, the, you know, this argument that we're full. I mean, is there a point at which you reach that? What's what, how do you? It's, it's more the rate of growth. Uh, but, but again, like uh, 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 leaving aside the issues of growth <laughs> uh, and what it does to the planet, yeah. But yeah, you but, want, but it, in terms of the yeah, you know, the rate of growth of the economy is what you're saying. So if uh, you if you were to say, well, okay, let's allow the population to grow by ten percent, then if if it grows by ten percent and the the right age that's coming in of their their uh, working age, then you know they are creating productive output and consuming at the same time. How far can that go for? Well, they can't go to ten percent. That'd be far too high. Right. Uh, but yeah, you 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 do talk about the order about you know a sort of level of two so two percent, one to two percent growth of your population. Uh, then past past that level, you start to be straining your capacity to expand housing, roads, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, uh, given the physical resources that you have to work with. Uh, and, you, and your effort goes into broadening rather than improving a technological level. Mm. So I, I, I wouldn't want to see a rate of migration exceeding 1% of the destination population uh, because of that level, you, you will. I mean, people who are experts might, might challenge me on that front. I could be quite wrong about the number I've chosen, but something at that level, anything above that, then you are starting to strain your capacity to absorb. And then the question becomes well, are we doing it for our own benefit or are we doing it for humanitarian reasons? Uh, with things like people being displaced by climate change, and we're back on that bloody issue again. Right, but even without climate change, there's still war, there's yep. still oppressive regimes, there's still that number from the UNHCR of And the question of is how much do we maintain what we call humanity mm. uh, when we start putting controls on that? Well, do we just let them die? Uh, you know, which seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? Or do we go and help them elsewhere, which is the other question. So yeah. is, is, is part of the answer actually to say, well, OK, yes, we, we, we have an obligation because they are the human species. We to- should be making life better in the poor regions of the, of the, of the planet, which is enormous capacity to do that because, again, a large part of it comes down to providing means of energy mm. and means of, uh, of, of sanitation and so on in areas which are underdeveloped, often underdeveloped because they've been you know, wiped out by colonialism beforehand. So we're fixing up mistakes made by our great-great-great-grandfathers. Uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, we, we don't want people to be leaving because they're being driven away by the breakdown of this culture where they are. That's mm. the ultimate. If that's the cause of migration, it's not a good reason to migrate. Well, we should be getting rid of the cause, not the symptom. Right. So, uh, what we? So, I mean, that in, in some cases that could be easy. It could be a case of, well, okay, this is a very poor country. There's economic refugees coming from this country. Mm. So, if we can help that economy grow with foreign aid, then we we solve that problem. If foreign we, aid did that, and foreign aid often benefits your local companies rather than the recipients of yeah, it. Yeah. So, okay. You know. So, well placed foreign aid. I don't. Yeah. Which is a, e- easier said than done. But also. Mm. What you do about people like Mr. Assad, for example, uh, you know, or Mr. Putin, you know, the, the, those those regimes that are either uh, oppressing their own people or invading other countries. You know, I mean, that's a war. Mm, and, mm. you know, well, there's about how many million other, refugees are from Ukraine right now? Involve the order of five or ten million people? Uh, yeah, at least, I think. But I mean, yeah, not not. Uh, and we've taken a slice of them here in the UK. Mm. I'm not sure of the absolute numbers. I think it's less than was originally in, intended. And and there we've got a problem as well because they were given homes and then people, uh, because it's a long-term solution, we, we, we solved a, a longer-term problem with a short-term solution where people said, open your homes to uh, to these refugees mm. for six months and they had no plan for what happens at the end of that six months. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people are going, well, that's it, I've done my six months now. 
uh, we want our home back. Mm, mm. Uh, I'm not quite as charitable as I thought I was. Mm. Uh, and because you're resting on, you know, people offering offering a chunk of their life to, to these refugees. Mm. And it's not a long-term solution because they're not your family. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know how... So we're doing it all badly, aren't we? Which, whichever way you look at it. And isn't that remarkable? That we... What? Doing it badly. No, <laughs> you're being sarcastic now. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, but how do we solve this problem then of uh, in the in the short term and in the in the long term? Do, do, is it a case of we have to find a way of providing better foreign aid rather than this reliance on on people having to move around the planet? It's a lot cheaper if we do it well, mm. which we don't. We haven't, as usual. But yeah, if you can say our focus on reducing migration is to boost living standards uh, in the rest of the world. And that's, you know, we'll, 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 we'll pay lip service to that. We won't actually do it. And, of course, when you do do that, then you, you can no longer say, if you, you, you effectively, you're creating, you'd be creating money to give away part of your productive capacity to do that. And that's what becomes a, an issue because then you say, well, what about for our own people? And then you get caught back in the racist quagmire once more. But our own people, uh, I mean, there's, there's the difference, isn't it, between people who are the recent migrants and, and, and longer term, because uh, our own people over, you know, a couple of generations become people who weren't our own people, you know, mm. when they first arrived in the country. And mm. they, cause so population of the UK is about, what, 65 million or something like that, mm. I think. Mm. So if the, if the UK population grew over a series of decades to, to 90 million, is that bad news or is that just what will have to happen Given that there's this this shift in the pattern of where people live, because well, some, I mean, because again, some, I can't avoid bringing climate change in here, and this is a country that already imports over thirty percent of its food needs. Yeah, and so it actually could be going the other way. I think the other way. So that could be the fun bit. Uh, people who wanted to stop foreigners coming into Britain might find themselves being foreigners going into another country. But we're only importing the food because it's cheaper to get the food from overseas than it is to make it here. I mean, that's the, the fundamental. I mean, we've got a huge amount of agricultural land in the UK that we are not Yeah, making... but again, the capital deepening thing, you haven't, you, you, you haven't got the, the technology uh, to produce intensively on the land that's available. And, uh, you know, but I think that's because it's cheaper to buy the food from overseas, isn't it? So if that if if we found if that ceases being the case, then you're in trouble. Or we just produce more food domestically, presumably, and we just have to accept the fact that Brussels sprouts and cabbage and potatoes are uh, is a nice meal. I might migrate back to Australia. <laughs> I mean, it may not may be ugly, but at least we can survive. But uh, I mean, you know, couldn't that be the couldn't that be the, the the pattern that we all just have to become that much more self sufficient in that? In and that that's way? that's the large part of it. I think self sufficiency, rather than specialisation and, and globalisation, that's the theme of the next thirty or forty years, and uh, and and that would change migration as well. But uh, you know, we're a long way behind the eight ball and getting ready for becoming self sufficient. So, if you were uh, in government, it doesn't matter where in the world, and you're faced with these 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 two issues then will include the energy crisis as, as part of it, that mm. it's going to be hard to sustain a standard of living and to, and to maintain food security. And the fact that we have so many people, millions, tens of millions of people in the, on, on the planet who are mm. looking for somewhere to live. What is the, and maybe all the world leaders get together and say, okay, over this weekend, we're going to nut it out. We've tried to do it in half an hour on a podcast <laughs> and we haven't got very far. What would, I mean, what would they, what would be the conclusion? What would be the, even the general direction that you would take to try and solve these? Well, I mean, my general direction, we've got to reduce human population. 
and do it in a peaceful way rather than having it happen by famine and starvation and, and wars. I had to do that. Put something in the water. Huh? I mean, how, how do you reduce the? You just let the. I mean, well, the the answer is to procreate less, obviously. Mm, mm. Uh, and there's countries yeah, where we, that... we 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 fail to realise that we're a predator. Mm. Okay, and what, we're the, the dominant predator on the planet. We're the most fearsome predator the planet's ever seen. Tyrannosaurus Rex had run away from us in a crowd. We're the scary ones, um, and we don't realise the extent to which we're over over predating the planet we're on. But what is it about Western nations, a lot of Western nations, where the natural uh, growth in the population is, is down, is, mm. is, is falling? There's not enough sex happening, uh, and um, just generally, uh, that's, you know, there's actually creating children at the end of it. We're both trying and very it, hard not to smile here. <laughs> you can have as much sex as you like. It's just, <clears> it's just, how many you kids. just can't have kids at the yeah. end of it. Uh, and uh, yeah, so whereas you know a lot of other, well, that's key to it, actually, isn't it? It becomes birth control. So lots of other countries where the population is growing. Mm. So uh, so actually, it's not the Western nations that are the problem on that, is it? You know, it's uh, you know we, we, the, the the issue is the the economic system that we have demands growth mm, and yeah. productivity, and the only way we've been able to solve that problem, productivity, because we can't fix it by actually being better at doing stuff, is to say, well, let's just throw more people at it. Which is not productivity, it's population growth. But yeah, yeah, getting to, yeah, I mean, our growth obsession is we're going to look back and, and just see how uh, crazy our growth obsession was. And these, this, this immigration issue is one of those dilemmas it's led us into. And, you know, we, we, we have to become comfortable with reducing the number of humans. And that's really hard, both at an emotional level for people, you know, you know, less than one. You, know, the, you look what I have with China with the one-child policy, uh, and, and that's caused drastic dislocation in in China. People want to have more than one kid. They want to have uh, once once you start procreating as a human couple, you certainly want you know two at least. And but, but since they've stopped that, huh? I think the population of China is. I mean, it's 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 on the slide, isn't it? Even it's finally turned around. But mm. yeah, they they tried the one. They try to enforce it with the one child pop, one child policy, and that you know ended up with the, the spoiled generation. Uh, Etc. Mm. Etc. Et it's not easy. It's it's a difficult thing. We shouldn't have got into the situation in the first place, right. but we have. And and now when you look at it, if we're going to go from eight billion to two billion, right? But how do you do that? How do you even start down that road? You know, it's mm. how do you control the population without having people dying of starvation or war? Mm. Or is, are they the only avenues open to you? Unless we do it in a collective way and, and change the structure of our society to to share the rate of decline yeah it's going to be ugly but how do you do, how do you do that how do you share that rate if you say well okay we have to accept the population of the planet's going to be smaller how do you do that mm, i don't want to find out but i think we are going to which gets back to because you're thinking it's going to be war yep. death or war all the ugly stuff that has given us the wives of migration and the response will be nationalism to keep people out who are in areas where the ecology is collapsing fastest I was looking for answers here Steve I've sorry got, I've no, got no, no, half, just, half an hour and you just thoroughly depressed me and, and I know I know I right -wing you jobs. chose the topic not my fault <laughs> well, just because we out of 350 podcasts I don't think we've, we've ever covered it yeah uh, but maybe for good reason and I don't think we'll do it again uh, but uh, <laughs> There we are. I mean, I'm one somebody who. I mean, my wife is 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 Thai. Um, my friends at school were Lebanese, Italian, Egyptian, Greek, um, 
I've benefited enormously in my own emotional and cultural life from migration. Mm. And so I've been that side of it. I, I love the fact you get these diversities of cultures and you can interact in one place. I think it's fabulous. And that's why I'm, I'm very negative about anybody who takes a sort of Brexit attitude to, to foreigners, blah, blah, blah. But in, in terms of the species itself, you know, we've got a great diversity of humans we know. What about the other species on the planet? You know, when's the last time you saw an animal? Uh, it wasn't a dog or a cat. Uh, maybe a horse. Uh, so w we've got this incredible diversity in human cultures. We've done it at the expense of the remaining species on the planet. And if that's gone far too far. Stick around for a couple of hours. You'll also see a fox. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, okay. And if you, if you really want to stay here till tonight mm. and lie out uh, in, in a hole in the corner of the a garden, hedgehog? you might no, might see a badger. A badger? Yeah. Mm, that's pretty Can't good. Can't guarantee it. But yeah, we've got, we've got so much diversity in this uh, in the back garden here all right mm. okay well i don't think uh, we solved any problems no whatsoever i yeah, probably caused a few <laughs> we caused many more all right okay uh, we'll catch you next week steve okay the debunking economics podcast hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.